Hello everyone and welcome to the very first episode of Adventures in the Creative Industries. My name is Eric Cravaglia, I'm the host and creator of this podcast. This is an opportunity for me to sit down and discuss the ins and outs of the creative industries through the experiences, the stories and the drama as seen through the eyes of my guests. We'll discuss all aspects of working in the creative industries and I can't wait to hear where this conversation will take us. As in the experience as I am during the podcast, I didn't ask Matt how people can reach him, so I'm gonna say it here. You can find Matt at his email address, which is matt, M-A-T-T, at monumentum.co.uk. Monumentum is M-O-N-U-M-E-N-T-U-M.co.uk. Well, I hope you enjoy the podcast, and here we go. Welcome to Matt Robinson. Matt is a creative director. He owns his own business, Monumentum, a branding agency just uh, around the corner here in Leith, because we are in Leith, Edinburgh, as you do. He's the creative director, and together with Chris Lomond, they started a business about a year and a half ago, you see? About, yeah, it was about two well, years ago. About one and a half years of doing it properly, and the other six months was just us not really knowing what we're doing. Matt was also design director at Tabern. Yep. We originally met at the Leith Agency in 2012, where I started my career in the advertising <coughs> business. Matt was a senior designer at the time. Would you say that? Uh, I was the only designer, so I kind of I was kind of senior and junior. Alan, who was creative director of design, was also a hands-on designer, so we both did lots of stuff and covered lots of uh, job titles. That's true. Shout out to Alan Ainsley. Shout out to Alan Ainsley. How you doing, pal? We'll have you on the podcast at some point. Well, so to this is as um, this is my first episode, Matt. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, at least I do have a very uh, bland idea what I'm doing. This is going to be about stories, people that worked in the industry, how you got in the industry, how you got your break, and how was to leave in the industry. How did you feel about it, and so on and so forth. I want to give an idea to people that are listening what it means to work in the creative industries, what you can get out of it, why it's challenging. And just to get a little bit deep, you know? Let's get deep. How, how did you get started? Like, what was the moment that you decided to, you wanted to work in the industry? Uh, back in uh, maybe two, uh, no, it would have been 1997, I think. Oh, you're old. So it was a millennium, last millennia. Uh, I was at art college and I was doing an art foundation and in an art foundation what you've got to do is you need to uh, study lots of different disciplines within the art uh, fields of arts and that could be anything like fine art, photography, sculpture, uh, graphic design was in there. It's one of those courses where you do a little bit of everything because you, you yeah, need to find like yourself. Yeah, it's like blunderbuss shotgun being fired randomly in the air and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you just eventually hone on something that you feel you're either quite good at or you, you hone down on something that it's the one thing you don't hate out of all of them. So what was the thing you hated the most when you were at uni? Uh, well, that, that, was, that was art college. That was before university. Okay, before um, uni. So yeah. that's, yeah. <clears throat> no, very rarely do people turn up at university studying graphic design and really know what they're doing. Um, I, well, yep, yeah, I, I did graphic design because that's what all my friends were doing. <laughs> that's it. And that's, and that's pretty much it, yeah. That, that, that was a, the, most of my friends were kind of wandering into the little group that said graphic design above the door. So I did, <clears throat> I did that, and I knew that I didn't want to do sculpture, and I knew that I didn't want to do fine art, and I knew that I didn't want to take photographs of things. Fair enough. I mean, you would have been a cracking sculpture, though, man. You would have just destroyed it as a sculpture, crash it. I think I would have probably just 
made lots of big <laughs> clay dicks. Oh man, straight to the dildo jokes. Straight okay, to the, yeah, yeah, straight in, straight to the dicks. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I guess still a form of art. You know, you could have opened, you could have cracked them, and you could have had like a beautiful Instagram. It could have been all about those like well-crafted, veiny, fellas. Yeah, yeah. God, the but I think there are people out there doing it way better than I would have ever done. I know, but then it's about the passion, right? It's not just oh, about I would have the put craft. some real passion into my yeah, cocks. You could yeah. Have had, like, you would have had the most beautiful brand, you know? Yeah, and they, yeah. I mean, I would, I would have gone crazy with it. <laughs> so many, so many dicks. So I did graphic design instead, and I kind of enjoyed it and and realised that I was getting quite good at it quite quickly. Uh, really? Well, that sounds like I'm blowing my own horn, doesn't it? Yeah, like a prodigy. I actually look back at my uh, <laughs> I look back at my my uh, my my art foundation year now, and I look at the work that I did, and it was absolutely abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> it was shockingly bad, and I had—I I, I, was—I was really confident that I knew what I was doing, and I, I really didn't. But then again, that's our college, right? I mean, I know you were doing graphic design, but like, it's the same—you gotta be—you gotta be confident. Yeah, you, know, you gotta be like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but I mean, hindsight's a great thing because I also look back at the same time, and I think the reason I didn't do fashion design was because I—we I, I, were given a brief to to restyle an existing. Uh, item of clothing and and I think and I uh, I thought that uh, sticking it in a bucket of bleach would be a good idea to try and reset the the sort of the colour of the fabric and left it in pure bleach over a weekend and it dissolved. So there were there, there was you know there was sort of other kind of catastrophes that <laughs> that were just kind of like outweighed how badly I was doing at graphic design. <laughs> you were so, so yeah, like in, in hindsight, the, it was really any graphic design that I wasn't completely failing at, rather than being spectacular at it at the time. Amazing though, you melted a whole a melted, whole t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, I think it was polyester. That's probably the problem. Oh right, I probably okay. probably made uh, mustard gas or something as it was dissolving. I'm not entirely sure the chemical toxic, compounds yeah. of it, but um, <clears throat> it definitely wasn't good. <laughs> so like, how did you go? Okay, so you finished your degree as a graphic designer and you felt pretty confident right i was confident when i studied graphic design at university it was at preston which used to be a big polytechnic but it was at the time it was one of the one of the good ones i think it still is actually one of the top 10 uh design universities preston and there was a guy called andy bainbridge who taught me and a group of guys who are still my good friends in the industry and there was uh the, 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 the discipline wasn't really graphic design it was creative thinking so okay. creative how you creatively communicate certain things and how you express yourself through visual means so so it wasn't really just graphic design as the traditional term would have it it was it was like a mixture of advertising concepts and uh, again sort of got back into the idea of how you can use photography and illustration to communicate things without necessarily using words it was uh, it was a number of different things really all kind of rolled into one, but the, the big underlining thing was we were taught how to think rather than how to draw. Oh man, that's yeah. cool. So, so when I graduated, I was I was yeah. I knew that I wanted to do some form of graphic design, but I think that kind of course uh, that teaches you about creative thinking and 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 conceptual communication, it, it kind of gets you geared up more into doing things like branding. So how entire communication, how entire organisations communicate through words, pictures, and actions. That makes sense. So you you got into branding then from the get go, kind of yeah. And that was it wasn't a big focus of the of the course, but it just happened to be what I 
found the most useful i think it was the thing that i could most easily apply to any sort of like business thinking so i always found graphic design as a as a singular concept quite um quite a, like a sort of a, it's decoration rather than communication a lot of graphic design right, whereas okay. what i'd been brought up on was the the idea that communication outweighs decoration so like that's a very interesting notion it's so, kind of getting a bit deep quite yeah, quickly no, no, that's good that's so good, far cry from big right? clay dildos yes i mean we started with dildos we're talking about the fundamentals of graphic design so like what do you what, what do you mean with that could you could you elaborate more uh yeah i mean the um <clears throat> so branding good good branding i think is about helping an organization establish its values so what it stands for in the world what what the point of that organization is existing is um for instance there might be like 20 different companies that all sell bars of soap um we might get engaged by this organization that says do you know what our soap isn't just um doesn't just smell amazing and leave you looking clean like all the others do uh we put money into uh this charity that keeps the oceans clean and keeps water clean um for the planet we also believe that um social responsibility is really important and we want more people oh, fuck it I mean, we want more, more people to be clean that can't have access to soap for instance you know yeah something like that so so then we would kind of help those organizations communicate those principles in a way that is appealing to people that are in the market to buy soap um i mean the, the, the bottom line of it is always that you want customers to pick one brand over another yeah so you want to to outshine your competition in terms of visuals but also differentiate yeah how you communicate your differentiating points that's <clears throat> that's that's what good branding always does um what i've always believed and that's something that chris and i who we work together we've both kind of found each other through this kind of like common belief that brands it's good brands don't just communicate through visuals they communicate through words they communicate through actions and principles and uh and, and how they behave on a day-to-day basis so okay so that's that's I think that's again. It's, it's not trying to get too lofty about it, but that's that's kind of where I found establishing communication principles really useful. Okay. Rather than just how to do nice graphic design. So you you, you liked graphic design and you liked branding because you studied. You, you were more concentrated on communication when you studied because your teacher, your lecturer or professor at the time uh-huh. was very much into communication. So I guess like ever back into that thing that like depends who you studied with who's your mentor who's your prophet professor or lecturer or whatever that influence what you do in life right yeah so that was that was kind of where yeah so that that's what that's where my the trajectory i guess of where my career's gone that's definitely i definitely would trace it back to that point and say that i could have graduated and just focus far more on being a really good graphic designer that does really really cool graphic design for for brands but I've taken a different route, which which kind of gets a little bit deeper into how organisations operate through their brand. So how did how did that happen? Because like, okay, you finished uni. Yeah. So, so what happened then? Um, my, yeah, my first job was in a little branding agency in uh, in London. Um, I won't name names because they're gone. No, they, they they still exist. They still like, exist. Okay. Yeah, but um, I was like, you, I thought you had a sob story there for a moment. No, like, not at all. No, no. I kind of I I left because I was I I, I didn't particularly get on with one or two of the people that ran it and okay. um, i'm sure they are lovely people they are very nice know? people really i was the asshole <laughs> just misunderstanding that's what it was uh, i was yeah if they, they, they mostly did uh, motorsport branding so they okay. used to do loads of i mean for some people it was a really it was a dream job 
it was they used to, we used to design liveries for Formula One teams. No way. Uh, yeah, they did that. I think it was in the late nineties or early noughties. Whenever I was there, it was like the Toyota race team started um, started racing in the Formula One. They were competing, and so we designed all the livery for their team. So that was went across all their cars. And that there. is a hell of a project to get. That is a yeah. great client to milk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then what else did we do? There was the in Bahrain. There was a racing circuit that opened up, that which was the, at the time the newest Formula One circuit on the on the championship. And we did the branding for the for the circuit in Bahrain. Uh, so we did a lot of that. I think the Ford Rally Championship uh, livery. We did that about six years on the run. Wow. I I, I mean I hate motorsport. It's like you had like I always have job for most. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of just like it. wandered into it, not really appreciating <laughs> what really I was doing. And like you think one of the biggest uh, circuit that you're like, ah, uh, just screw this. I mean, like whatever. Yeah. What do you need? I'll do it. Okay. But that was, I mean, that was that was graphic design. We, we weren't doing branding. We were doing graphic design. So we were we were decorating cars. We were coming up with like a, a concept for the entire livery design, but it was it was largely we were just colouring in think, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with motorsport it's everything has to look like it goes really fast and everything has to sort of look colourful in the environment <laughs> that it exists in so right. you have bright colours that look amazing against the black tarmac oh my god uh, you, <laughs> you you should write like a um a guideline for this, you know how to do how to do how to do motorsport branding. Well, I, I'm, pro- I'm 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 talking it down a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like I'm sure there's a lot of there's a lot happened. of work goes into it. <laughs> yeah. a hell of a lot of work goes into it, and it's never a quick job. It was months and months of, of really hard work, incredibly, uh, you know, trying to trying to trying to trying to create design for things that exist in a 3D space. Like the livery of a car is a really hard thing to to get your head around because you need to create a it's like a piece of packaging. You need to wrap design around this enormously complicated 3D thing. Jesus Christ. Um, which just made me hate motorsport even more. <laughs> so I never... Like, tell me, tell me, uh, how bad was... Because, you know, usually when you work with a client, you know, there's a number of stakeholders and the bigger the client, the more the stakeholders, right? Rarely yeah. you would you work with a client that's huge and it has one people you're dealing with. So in that respect, given that you're dealing with a huge organisation, how many stakeholders were they involved? The for free well, for instance, like the Toyota team, I've I've no idea because that was I was so junior, I didn't get to meet any of the important people in case I was, in case I said something stupid in front of them. So <laughs> I, you know, the junior designers were kept behind closed doors. Fair enough. Yeah. And we were like a little tiny sweatshop of cretins, just uh, making things look nice. <laughs> but that, that must have been a hell of a school though, because like you're there making this things for like huge brands, right? That usually you don't see until you're a bit more middleweight and yeah, like, yeah. You just go thrown into the deep end and like you just started making this stuff so like what happened what happened after you've been owning your craft that way making things look very going very very fast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well I left I left the company because I I I was kind of a bit tired of of doing that and I I, 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 other objectives as well like I wanted to go traveling around the world and living in London when you're 22 years old Uh, It's, it's not really with like 50 quid a week spending money to eat uh, and to, to get your bus ticket and stuff which even even in 19 what was it no that was 2002 even then it was a bit paltry was it um, I yeah so I moved up to Manchester um, and went to a, a company up there which did I suppose more more of the same kind of graphic design not really branding um, okay 
but for different organizations. So we did loads of stuff for like uh, building, like uh, develop, building developer companies, um, uh, public sector companies. This is probably the least interesting part of, of, of this we went podcast. From motor Motorsports to like oh building companies oh yeah yeah so that so I was only there for about a year but it was a stopgap because what I wanted to do was go traveling and it save some a stop money gap. come on it's but it's, it's it's completely dry of any anecdotes okay it was yeah. a stopgap then uh, yeah I, I I bought a hamster that was about as, as, as interesting <laughs> as my life got for so that you, year. you put roots down you put you put roots down yeah hamster and uh, and then went traveling around the world and left the hamster alone on uh, like what with, with a friend. The hamster, the hamster uh, it died eventually, um, as hamsters do. It lasted about a year and a half. It's not great value because they're about ten quid. Um, they, uh, I left it with a friend, and uh, yeah. So Rolf, my my hamster is buried in buried in someone's back garden in ha- Manchester. Rolf, I'll never the forget hamster. that hamster. I didn't know you had an hamster. You see, that's why I like doing this podcast. You, you, learn, you, learn, you learn about your friends. You learn about the industry. I can't believe you had a hamster. Mm. Well, yeah. to be honest, you have two cats now. We haven't said that. But like, would you like to introduce us to your cats? Yeah, sure. My cats, uh, Mr. Phillips and Mrs. Bobbins. Uh, Philip and Brenda for their, you know, yeah. their Sunday names. <laughs> and that's all we need to know about Matt's cats. So that's cats and hamsters. Yeah. And I went up to Manchester. Yeah, let's go uh, back to the, to the, to the meat. So you went to Manchester. Actually, we haven't said where you're from originally. Essex. You're from Essex. It's one yeah. of those guys. So, um, no, we love you, Essex. We're just kidding. Um, so you... Why? Why Essex is your question? No, no, why Essex? Because it's completely above and beyond your control. You're just born there. So it's not like... Right. Why didn't you stay in Essex? Um, Essex is... Uh, it's it's a really lovely part of the world. It's quite yeah, the part of Essex I come from is very countrysidey, and little uh, independent pubs that serve you nut brown ale hand pulled from pumps and. Uh, Wasn't very exciting then. It's all you say. Yeah, it's all right. I, I mean, I like going back and visit my family, but that's that's about the start and end of of it all. I left. There's, there's, there, there are no. There's, there's no. There's no real creative industry in in Essex, okay. so to speak. You have to go to one of the big cities to. To really kind of get your teeth into the creative industry, um, so I, Manchester. Yeah, so it's, for instance, Manchester. Yeah, it's quite. It was certainly at the time. It was very good. I think it still is. It still is, right? Like, oh yeah. Shouldn't the UK? Oh yeah. Oh god, no, I'm not slamming. I'm not slamming. Uh, no. Are they like are they the, the second and the third advertising centre? Or maybe yeah. there's Newcastle as well. Yeah, it's probably sort of London, and then probably sort of second, third, and fourth places are like Edinburgh, yeah. Glasgow, Manchester. Yes, yeah, Manchester, Manchester's got an amazing creative community there, that's for yeah. sure. Um, and it's got some very, very, very cool uh, design agencies, which was what I was attracted to when I moved there. But, but like I said, it was a stopgap, so I could go travelling, spend the best part of a, sort of about nine months backpacking around uh, the sort of the deepest, darkest parts of Southeast Asia. Oh, you did the Southeast Asia thing. South, so Southeast like, Asia tell trip. me... Um, the most memorable thing that happened on your packing experience? Oh, um, most memorable would probably be uh, in Cambodia. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of very, very dark stuff in Cambodia, but... Yeah, I mean, there's historically like, speaking. His, I mean, very, very recent uh, horrible uh, humanitarian uh, crises, and uh, it was not that long ago. And so, yeah, we're still not getting into this whole sort of Cambodian civil war, but the... Um, uh, the, the, the most memorable thing was being in a cafe 
and uh, I was being served by a waiter. Uh, the waiter was about five, um, <laughs> and he had a little had his little uniform, and was serving cans of coke and plates of noodles, and this enormous <laughs> this enormous black uh, scorpion came scuttling across the floor, and everyone sort of jumped onto their seats, and no one really knew that. Scorpion, big scorpions are okay. Little ones are the ones you need to be scared of, just for reference. If it was going to do the same thing, yeah. Back to say seizure, yeah. But you see, yeah. But, the, but when you see them, they're they're so they're so freaky when you see them. So everyone jumped in their seats, and this little lad came out, good waiter, looking after the customers. He took off his flip flop, held the held this massive scorpion down with with his flip flop, then used the ring pull from a can of coke to slice the tip of its tail off. Uh, picked him up and put it in his pocket. Well, wow, that's pretty memorable, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And he kept it as a pet, as far as I know. Jesus. Which is, I think, what kids do in, in Phnom Penh in, in Cambodia. They, it's pet not, scorpions? Yeah, pet scorpions. Well, I mean, it's not the most lucrative sort of... It's, it's, it hasn't got an enormous GD, GDP. Don't they eat them or whatever? I heard that. Here's if they're hungry, country. I suppose. Right. They fry, yeah. They fry all sorts of kind of insects and arachnids, and yeah. I remember in Thailand they were just selling them off the street. You know, you <coughs> could, scorpions. Uh, yeah, fried no scorpions. Whoa. I remember so. Do I remember wrongly? They was had a not, whole range of insects. I not, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've tried cicadas and crickets and stuff, and they're just yeah. like crisps. They're not exactly memorable. You wouldn't things, even, yeah, you wouldn't even. I didn't try them. You know, uh, I, all I all I bought from the off the street in Thailand it was this coconut ice cream thing they used to sell which was amazing you know the fresh coconut they put in like some kind of vanilla ice cream and then they put like half a can of uh, condensed milk <laughs> you know you go like yeah. you, can, you can tell it's here you go like look, 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 <laughs> and then they just like <laughs> swirl it around and put like a straw and give it to you and it tastes amazing I didn't get I mean, that it's diabetes into a coconut but like it's oh, it's that. amazing it loads yeah. of things, yeah yeah Right. So okay, that's so you went anyway. That, that was traveling. That was. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not. That's nothing to do with my Close career. Bracket. Close, Close bracket. Close brackets. Hey, hey. Every experience, you know, brings you away back to the. What I will do is what I will say about it is that if you take any sort of extended holiday away from a job that you love doing, you 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 reapproach it with this kind of renewed enthusiasm and, and vigor. Because I was a little bit, I was a bit bored when I left to go traveling because I've been working in an agency that was. It was not. I mean, the people were nice and the work was good, but it wasn't yeah. setting anyone on fire. Not that that's a positive thing to do, but you know, it wasn't setting the world on fire, is what I mean. Yeah, um, <laughs> it didn't set. It didn't set we not set people on, on fire. fire. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't that again, like that sort of propaganda communication. Yeah, we yeah. used to set people on fire every once in a while. Oh, yeah, yeah, we burn cool. people alive. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, yeah, it was a stopgap. I, I ran away <laughs> after three months. Uh, so. After travelling, did you come back to the UK or went somewhere else? I landed in Sydney. Bam, 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 bam. Which is what everyone does when you go travelling in Southeast Asia. You go to Sydney and you try and work. Um, and I, I, I was quite lucky, I think, because I landed with a couple of guys who I knew from back home. A guy called Mike Rigby, who is um, very, he's, he's, he's gone on to do amazing things. He's currently working out in New York. He's a He's on the he's on the board at an organisation called RGA uh, Robert Greenberg Associates, uh, and he's 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 in charge of their transformation, business transformation, Jesus and brand. Um, and he was he was I studied with with Mike at university. He's a he's a really good guy, um, and he was doing a similar thing to me at the time. So he was out travelling, and we decided that we were going to just chance our arm in Sydney and just see if we could do some freelancing and st- stay around there for a bit. Uh, and and yeah, so I, I stayed in Sydney for about two years. 
two years in Sydney. About two Can years you in Sydney. That for yeah, you have to get sponsored uh, oh, by yeah. a company. So I freelanced for about nine months and then eventually uh, succumbed, 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 circumferenced yeah. to the. Um, they were asking me to stay full time, so I, I said fine in the end. Good. They sponsored you, so I guess. And they sponsored me and they, and they paid me a, a fair wage for so my. Did you, did you like Australia? Or yeah. Did you like yeah, Sydney's, a, Sydney's an interesting place. Um, certainly at the time, there was, uh, I guess. A massive demand for good designers who knew how brands work, okay. uh, how to do branding rather than just uh, sort of you know graphic design in Back the singular. In yeah, yeah. Um, and and so that that kind of meant that I, I sort of had the pick of a few different uh, quite big agencies out there to go and work at because everyone seemed to be recruiting. So it was it was really just a case of you could be walking down the street and you would have a job thrown at you. Wow! If you were, I think even if you were just a good designer, you'd get a job thrown at you. Certainly at the time, it was it was kind of bizarre. That's mental. Because I think back in the UK at the time, it was still quite a difficult industry to get into. But um, what do you mean branding in general, design as well? I think design in general. Okay. Um, not necessarily branding, but um, <clears throat> so yeah. So I worked at a company called Moon um, Communications Group, which uh, unfortunately have shut down um, since then. But it, an enormous organization that had must have been about hundred people working there at the time. Oh, okay, that's big. big. Big clients had like airlines and big uh, kind of visitor attraction clients, and um, Three Mobile was one of their bread and butter clients. Wow, we did tons of advertising for those guys, and um, yeah, and and yeah, so just got very lucky in getting this really good agency. How different is design and communication the other side of the world? It, well, Sydney, Sydney well, Australia generally is an interesting country because it it's actually quite it's quite a remote part of the world geographically, but weirdly it's connected really closely with America and the UK and, and culturally picks up a lot of I think culturally picks up a lot of influences from both the UK and the US. Um, so and the, the creative industry actually reflects that in a, in a weird way in Sydney because there's a lot of what I would call really amazing hipster design uh, happens over there. I mean, it, it, it infer from that what you will, but I, 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 all I mean is it's that there are some really, really great designers that just know how to make things look amazing. Uh, you know, the kind of there's a lot of sort of like illustration graphic design hybrid okay. out there. Um, they st they, I still think that in terms of branding, they're perhaps a little bit behind the curve. Okay, um, why do you think so? Uh, the reason I say that is because some, e even like Landor, Interbrand, the big agencies out there don't seem to don't seem to be picking up the the, the enormous kind of global clients. They everything's still quite lo local. Yeah, there's a huge. I mean, there's huge amounts of industry. There's there's mass like Australia's a rich country. Okay, yeah, yeah population's okay. quite small. Uh, the cities. Aren't I mean like Sydney's an enormous city, Melbourne's a massive city. Yeah. Uh, you know, huge amount of the population total for the entire country live in those two cities. So there's enough work to get by anyway. So there's there's a lot of work to be done, but I think actually not enough talent out there, which is why they're throwing jobs at people that come from Would you say it's still the, the US now? and the UK. I think it is still like that. I'm, I'm not sure because I've not been part of that. Yeah, of course. Part yeah. of that circle for a little while. Um, most of the people that I know out there have either moved back home or moved on. Um, but it's, it's still somewhere to go if you want to accelerate your career, I'd say. If you're young, hungry, and oh, yeah. good, I would say that, that 
Sydney especially is, is still a really good career accelerant drug and you'll have a blast out there as well. If you're good, you can just raise up the ranks very quickly. Then. Yeah, because I think that because there's the, the slight, uh, well, the, the, there's less talent, like I said, out there. So mm-hmm. you will automatically, like I was a no more than middleweight designer and I was immediately thrown onto big branding projects that I was pretty much running from on my own. Wow, well, that's that's good though. Which is great. And and so from there, I think I probably cut my teeth most, out of all the, out of all the jobs I've had, probably at Moon, the Moon Communications Group. Um, Plus, they were a real fucking party central company as well. I mean, don't forget that in Australia, they, I mean Sydney especially, they know how to chuck a, they know how to throw a good party. the The company I worked for, we used to have two day benders for um, for summer parties and Christmas parties. Two days. Two, yeah, we. Used to, <laughs> I, That's I was only there for two years. I don't think it could have lasted much longer because. So one Christmas we had a two yeah two day party. It started off in a spa where we would have. Uh, like a big we were basically they, they rented the entire spa so all the facilities <laughs> oh, and we were God. there only for like three hours but all the facilities were ours to yeah. use and then I we got I can only imagine the riot uh, unless uh, everybody was sitting quietly well, getting was, massages uh, yeah everyone was sober at that point but right. then we were like chucked into a van and taken to a big uh, sort of like warehouse rave for about six hours and then there was an after party and then we were taken back to a hotel and then we were woken up five hours later and half the company were still coming down from all sorts of chemicals they had in their bodies. And we were shipped out to a pavilion on Sydney, on Sydney, on the coast of Sydney Harbour. And we were kind of like almost forced at gunpoint to carry on partying uh, for about another 12 hours. That's mad. That puts to shame every single summer party in every single agency in the UK, pretty much. Yeah, it was, it was, it was relentless. That's mad. I don't know if I would take part on that. I'll probably, I'll probably tap out after the, the spa. I say, I'll come to the spa, guys. After the massages, I'm going home. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you'd be wise to do that as well. Because, <laughs> you'd be wise. <laughs> because the people that I know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm probably only really sort of friends with four or five people still. Um, but I, I, I certainly think that if you, if, you, if, you try and, if you try and do that, you just end up ageing prematurely. <laughs> you, you, you'll come back with white but hair. How many did Scared of to- everything. How many of these parties they used to throw in a year? Uh, there was a summer party and Christmas party. So two parties. And then every Friday they would have an enormous banquet of drinks for everyone. So everyone would get pissed. And maybe Friday. like half the company would stay behind, which is quite a few people. That's that's a, that's, that's, that's a, a proper party. It's like sort of 40 or 50 people drinking until about 9 or 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. And that was a regular thing. Wow. That's just how it worked. You they, must have lived the dream, mate. I was living the dream. <laughs> So why don't you go back? So I thought, wait, before we go to the steps after that, like so far, right, from when you started until you got to Australia and you, you were you were cutting your teeth into these big brands, did you have any big challenges? There'll be millions, but I can't think of one that's not mad. Let me think. Um, creatively, in, ter- yeah, in terms of actual profession, like creatively, I've always been someone, like if I'm not particularly happy with myself if, if I don't feel like I've done the best job I possibly can. And it's not always it's not always possible to do an amazing job on every single brief that you get given. That's just the way it works. Yeah. And probably the I'd say when I was working at the place that did all the motorsport design, that was probably the one place where I found I just couldn't do any work that I was proud of because I wasn't particularly proud of working on doing go faster stripes on cars. Well, I suppose what I'm getting at is that if you're not enjoying the work you're doing it immediately makes you feel like your career is a pointless ordeal. 
Yeah, because the only reason we do this, the only reason we do this is because we love doing it. And the second you stop loving what you're doing, you might just as well be just doing nine to five in a regional uh, actuary organization. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. you might just as well just be pushing a pen on a, on a desk somewhere. How, how was coming back home? From Australia? Yeah, back home um, intended the UK. Back home, I'd, I'd been in touch with a few people while I was in Australia. Uh, who were kind of on the ground back in the UK and the, in 2008 when there was a big financial crash uh, for some reason a lot of people who were very good seemed to be either like losing their jobs or um, were finding it hard to get back into work um, so although I can't really uh, vouch for how difficult it was at the time there seemed to be a lack of work I think it, it was probably the financial crash obviously sort of means that media spend is one of the first things that gets slashed when any organization feels the grip uh of of of, of sort of pennies dropping out of their pocket so um <clears throat> i think that's probably partly why a lot of a lot of people no matter how talented they were were finding it hard to get work so i was it, i was kind of putting it off a little bit but eventually the the girl that i was seeing wanted to come back to the uk she was kind of homesick and just wanted to move home so i said yeah fine Fucking fine. Fine. Whatever. Fine. So, <coughs> fine. All right, then. Let's, let's, let's end the party. Right? Let's end the party. <laughs> so did you meet her in, in Australia or did you go to Australia? Yeah, yeah. She was from Edinburgh. Okay. She was uh, backpacking around Australia and was doing a similar thing to me, which just landed in Sydney and wanted to hang around there for a while. So that's, that's how that happened. But she wanted to come home and I kind of was okay with it, kind of gutted but it was fine and we came back home and well, that's lesser because home is Edinburgh well yeah I say home yeah Edinburgh is is I feel far more like it feels far more like my home than, than Essex really yeah well that's interesting yeah is that because you've been here for what a decade now decade almost? 10 years 10 years yeah probably but even when I first moved here it felt far more like somewhere I wanted to settle down oh check you out yeah it's good old Scotland yeah but the yeah so the, so the, there wasn't tons of work I think when I, even when I came back home which was two thousand and nine, uh, but it, I I managed to get a job at the Leith Agency. Uh, Alan, shout out to Alan Ainsley. Um, shout out again. To shout Alan. out to Alan Ainsley for uh, for believing in me. Ah, uh, yeah, boy. Believe, boy. Um, he he was looking for a designer to join the team because uh, he at the time he was setting up uh, a design department within Leith. I like how the design department it was at the end of the day just you and Alan. Yeah, but that's that's all that's all <laughs> it needed. <laughs> it sounds like when I when I got to Leith and the digital department was just like cheating <laughs> on myself. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> God bless Leith. We um <clears throat> so so Al gave me a job at Leith and we were yeah, we were the design team at Leith for a good few years. Um so I, I did yeah, I didn't really kind of move around um until I left Leith. Yeah, because I remember like you were you were doing pretty well at Leith. I mean, every all the big design jobs were either in yours or Alan's hand. I remember that. Yeah, but I mean, the thing with the thing you got to remember is that because Leith is primarily it's an above the line advertising agency. Yeah. So design uh, certainly at the time, and I think probably still to a point, it's it's a still performs a bit of a, bit of a support role, um, in the in the grand scheme of of what Leith offers clients. Can you They're touch always, on? Sorry to interrupt you. Can you touch on above the line just for people that don't know? Oh, okay. Yeah, above the line is it's a term. Um, if you're not familiar with it, uh, I, I don't even know where this where the origin of the word comes from. But the line, the line sort of def <laughs> the line kind of defines 
the, the, the scale and caliber of the, of the work that you're doing. So above the line normally means TV, outdoor advertising, uh, press advertising, the kind of stuff which is like mass media, where it's like you're blanket bombing the whole, the yeah. whole uh, general public. Um, I'm still not familiar with what through the line really means. That, that kind of encompasses so many different <laughs> terms. It's like direct mail, things like that. The, the stuff that's annoying. Yeah, the kind of stuff that you just want to burn. <laughs> you just show that yeah, <clears throat> then your mouth. Yeah. yeah, that's there through the line. And then there's there's below the line, which uh, again it's a very traditional term, but that normally means things like design. Yeah, uh, brochure wear. Yeah. Do you think like these kind of terms are kind of falling off falling off from grace lately? Because like lots of it, it's I don't really know. hear it. Those words yeah. being used. I think above the line is probably the only ob- the only the only one of the original lines. Uh, which around. is still used quite heavily because above the line is just so synonymous with like big big media okay makes um, sense big so media. then anyway so that's, okay. that's above the line so that's what Leith do uh, always have done from the early days so they've always yeah. been big TV campaigns press campaigns outdoor campaigns yeah and they made some of the most <clears> iconic <throat> ads in Scotland for that matter yeah like, I mean they're, they're, they're Arambrew the... for like 20 years now I don't know if they still are Arambrew Arambrew still they're, they're... I, th- I think so the clients, I think so. But we'll phone do. them up and ask. Yeah, we can ask. Yeah. Um, um, but, so, yeah. so Al and I, we were we were performing a role, with, and Al is, is similar to me. He's always been of a big brand kind of thinking kind of guy, um, which is why we got on very well. And uh, and, he, and he offered me the job, um, but like I said at the time, Leith was really treating design as a support role, and I think over the years it's definitely grown to become a more significant offer at Leith, but. Um, at the time, yeah, we we we, yeah, we had a range of different projects. Like so, so you said that we were taking on big clients, and mm-hmm. and we were, yeah. But we we're also doing really shitty little jobs <laughs> for some of the bigger advertising clients. Yeah, so, everything like, to get the, the the department started, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But it was it was fine, and we had fun doing it. Like, um, I mean, like for instance, just to kind of give you a bit of context for that, uh, the Scottish government is one of Leith's big clients. They I don't know what percentage of that. Certainly at the time, they, they accounted for maybe 25% I of remember, their like, income. It was a big deal, yeah. Probably more, actually. A uh, big deal. So they used to do loads of TV campaigns for things like health, uh, for, uh, like, um, they called like the, not the NHS, but sort of the, the health initiatives that the government yeah. used to um, promote. Um, and uh, education was a big one as well so we do lots of education campaigns again these were like above the line campaigns yeah. so yeah so sometimes we would just get to sort of pick up the breadcrumbs that fell off of those bigger projects um, and, <laughs> and one of them which is what is one, one of the things I love I, I love and hate telling people about is that there's an organization called Education Scotland uh, and their their role was divide I mean they, they they were kind of dreamt up by the Scottish government at the time that um, the curriculum for excellence was yeah, being big devised. Yeah. Um, if you don't know, Eric's uh, wife is a primary school teacher. So she is. She's very, very, wife. very does a very good <laughs> job of uh, <laughs> bringing bringing the little people up to speed with yes. what they need to know to live she's, in this world. She's um, cracking the little coconuts, trying right, to get them up to speed. Then she has a primary, a composite primary one and two class this year. So, oh, 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 double, double the work. Double deckers. Oh, uh, we could do a whole episode on education and being yeah. a primary school teacher, but we want. But we won't. We're moving just, on with the when you want of interesting people to talk to. Yeah. Uh, we'll start talking about education, but um, uh, but the, the reason I'm giving you that as context is because the curriculum for excellence was a, a massively complicated change to the education system in Scotland. Yeah, it's still 
And, and out of that came more confusion and more briefs came out and we had to try and help the public understand what the curriculum for excellence was, why things were changing. And then it seemed like out of the blue, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it seemed like at the time they, they had to create a whole new department called Education Scotland within the Scottish Government. And Oh, so that's pretty recent then. That's, we're talking about 2009, 2010? That's 2010 maybe. I've been at wow. least a couple of years yeah. maybe by this point. Um, and because it was, I, this is what, the, the reason I think that it was dreamt up quite quickly is because they immediately needed a logo. Of course, as, yeah. Because, because, because of, of, of all the 5,000 different departments in the government, they all need their own logos. <laughs> uh, why wouldn't you want 5,000 different government logos floating around? Um, so we sort of, sort of face-palmed and, and said, right, let's quickly give them something. Not really having any idea about what was what 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 it was that we would how, how big a deal this was, so created created about five different logo options. We were given about twenty four hours to do this just yeah. before anyone starts I can't to think believe that. This. Yeah, oh, <clears throat> and, so painful. And what we did in a day was it was passable. It was a passable effort, I think. About twenty four hours, like twenty four hours. You had like, literally you worked about twelve hours. Maybe. Yeah, and this this was definitely not what i would consider uh, a, a proper <laughs> a proper branding project oh no so it was it was here's the name of the company uh, sorry here's the name of the government uh, organization it's going to be called education scotland uh, what we'd like is five logos we will pick one and then we will use the one that we pick and it will go on some stuff and that that was the, the full extent of the brief it was like i need we need five logo, logos 24 hours go go and we uh, so we <laughs> so we gave them i mean they were five five logos that were they were fantastic man <laughs> they, they they were they were an hour each you know that that's oh, kind of that's kind of what was happening that day well like if you think about it 12 hours you maybe spend like an hour each making it thinking about it and then half an hour trying to refine it and that's pretty much it uh, yeah that, 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 that's being generous and so so i don't remember what the five what all the five options were but the one that they picked was um it was a lowercase e and Brilliantly, the counter space of the E had been replaced with an S. Scotland inside education, which makes no sense. I'll, I'll just say that now. It makes no sense. Scotland inside education. Scotland, I mean, it wasn't we even like education inside so Scotland. Many ways, yeah. It's 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 Scotland inside education, whatever that means. And uh, and it and it was a. I think we used a gradient color. I yeah. mean, I hope hopefully people can tell that my sort of facetious tone. Is is gently mocking that the the, the, the this logo is. That they um, <laughs> this is branding jokes, guys. Yeah, and the words Education Scotland written in lowercase next to it because it had to appear friendly and and accessible to all. Um, so that that's so that's maybe like six years on now, seven years on. Yeah, uh, that logo would have been reproduced about a million times. I bet. Yeah, it's it's on every piece of educational material that's that's public facing. They never changed it. They never they never changed it. it. Never touched it. They took, as far as I know, it was the PDF that was sent to them. The logo was stripped out of that PDF, turned into a bit of artwork, and then it was given to the guy. So, so this, this is the... This is, a, this is what they don't teach you at school. So you go to school because you have to learn all the tools, right? Yeah. And you have to learn how to make brand guidelines. You know, yeah. and you have to learn how to do all the deliverables, <clears throat> and then you get given 24 hours, make five logos, yeah. off you go. And again, this, this is in no way a... a, a an attempt at sort of poorly reflecting the quality of Leith's work because it's then, generally brilliant. Yeah, it's 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 merely this is this is a reality. Sometimes you just it's just the way it no is one wanted too. this. No one that worked on this project at Leith yeah. quite understood how how 
ubiquitous this logo would become. I can imagine the faces of everybody at Leith when they, well, the people involved when they were like told the brief and yeah. the timing and the deadline, and you were like, what? Excuse me? Yep, yep. Okay, we'll just, we'll just, do, we'll just quickly just shit some logos out onto a plate. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that was that, and, and yeah, and before you know it, and, and it's and it's my probably my least favourite ever thing that I've designed. And if it's I'm probably really honest. Used. And it's probably maybe it's up there. It's definitely up there. It's it's been reproduced a million times. I mean, weirdly, I think weirdly, this, this is this is the paradox with a lot of a lot of design briefs. Um, actually, the, the, a similar story. This is going back to Australia. A similar story of this sort of catastrophic emergency designing that that I've sort of had to do in my career. Um, in uh, in in Australia, so I'd only been working in Sydney for maybe sort of two or three months, and I was uh, I was working on the brand team at Moon Communications Group PLC or whatever they were. Um, and one afternoon, things seemed to be getting quite hairy at the Three Mobile team. Um, again, just a bit of background context: uh, Three. This this was a retail uh, a retail client, so lots of quick, dirty. Uh, design and and advertising for uh, all of the different three mobile shops in Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, etc. All the all the big cities in Australia, <clears throat> and everything that we created at Moon would go out and would get rolled out across all the different shops and across all the uh, billboard advertising on the TV. That was kind of how that was that was what we were doing. It's quite a big quite big project um, done by just a very small team, and we. <laughs> They, they, they were working on a project and it was to roll out what was at the time called mobile broadband which wasn't broadband on people's mobile phones because the iPhone still hadn't even been invented then it was these weird little kind of dongle things shaped like enormous pieces of sperm that would plug into the side of your laptop to allow you to use the internet when you're in a cafe I remember that I was very familiar with that yeah, yeah. Um, or not necessarily in a cafe when, when you're out and about if you just if you're out yeah you had it, it, it was like having a modem with you yeah, you if, could connect it, to 3G which was quite slow at the time yeah. yeah and 3G I think even then was pretty primitive yeah, but clean, so yeah. <clears throat> so these things were being rolled uh, rolled out across the country and they needed an advertising campaign uh, to to help communicate what it was that that that, yeah. that 3 mobile was selling um they had done 17 rounds of ideas so that to me immediately 17 rounds. 17 rounds of ideas that's what a week two weeks worth of work of a team of people two people yeah it was it'd been going on for about two months that's the thing so two months so it was a small team it, it was supposed to be a fast-paced project <laughs> two months but 17 rounds of creative had passed and the client said you guys clearly aren't getting it so because i never worked on three mobile they said maybe a fresh pair of eyes would do yeah, is what we need to crack it. So I was kind of thrown on it for half a day, half a day, <clears throat> half a day, and after seventeen random moments, <laughs> the desperation to get the junior, call the junior, call the junior. This is our last chance. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like their last hope. Yeah, did he give you like a pep talk? I say, Matt, we fucked up. We need this fixed. You are going to fix it. it. But it was it was like the Education Scotland brief. It was it's mobile broadband. We're not going to show you any of the work we've done before because apparently none of it's right. Go, go. So, and, and in three and a half hours, we want to see an idea that's going to that's 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 going to work. Yeah. So, and the, and again, this is it's pathetic. But what what I did is I, I created this big, super graphic kind of design made up of arrows, all sort of spinning in all different compass directions, with the little uh, 
this little kind of USB dongle thing sat in the yep. middle of it. I was basically just trying to illustrate the internet. I was trying to draw the internet. I was trying to draw what the internet <laughs> in the was. In a dongle form. In a dongle form, yeah. So they, they sort of, I sort of quickly draw the internet and make it out of arrows. And uh, and the, the guy that ran the, the guy that ran the account came over and he said, well, that's interesting. Can you just save that as a JPEG and I'll, I'm going to email it to the client now and see what they think. <laughs> Desperation. Yeah. Ten, ten minutes later, he'd got a reply email saying, that's bang on. Let's make that the campaign. And, and hilariously, I'd, I'd just used all of the free Arrow devices that come free with Adobe Illustrator in their little kind of Arrows palette. I'd just sort of, I'd just draw, I'd just drop them all on a page and, and that was that. And $250,000 of, of, uh, of campaign investment was oh. solved in, in, in two and a half hours with free what? Adobe Illustrator Arrow <laughs> illustrations. A beautiful thing. And, a beautiful uh, thing. And I'm not kidding. Two weeks later, it was all over the country. It was insta. They'd rolled out across in-store graphics, in-store promotional uh, sort of gondola end um, uh, graphics. It was on the telly. Someone had animated it and had put it on the telly on a TV ad. <laughs> so the thing is, right? Every designer in the country would have just looked at that and said, "Motherfucker, who's doing this?" Just used the Adobe arrows. Yeah, they would say. They would, any good creative would have looked at it and said. Hmm. That's a bit shit. <laughs> That's a bit underwhelming. I mean, I get it; it's a good idea, but the arrows, man. Hmm. No, it was. I mean, it's uh, conceptually, it, it was pretty weak, uh, but it was just the first thing I thought of, and and it got whisked. It got whisked away from me. Oh, do, you remember, do you know what? I remember like um, one of the Pixar director came to to Glasgow to do a talk like three years ago. So uh-huh. I went to see it, and like the the gist of his talk was like. The more time you spend on a project, it doesn't mean that the project is getting better. Oh, totally, yeah. So it's like, because the, the thing with Pixar, they take like three years before an idea, it's it's done right, and sometimes they got it right, you know, like yeah. some of like Toy Story is like an amazing movie and the storytelling there, it's, it's, it's exceptional, but sometimes you just, you know, polishing a turd. So like, <laughs> it, it doesn't mean that. So like, there you go, you, this is like the incarnation of that, all, you need, all Matt needed to sort out three was half a day and a few arrows from Adobe Illustrator. That's it. <laughs> that's yeah. like a superpower. That's, that's so, yeah. like to you, man, how good you are as a designer. But then there's, I think there's something in the, the, the panic of a client that needs something because they've, they've paid for like serious amount of money for media slots yeah. on the telly, on pressure. billboards. There's pre- they're under this crazy pressure. So they, it's not that they would agree anything, but if they see something they like, <clears throat> they will sign off so quickly. Um, desperation kick in. Desperation is sometimes your your friend in this industry. So, so sometimes, when there's a lot of time at hand to to come up with ideas and present them to clients, if time is on your side, sometimes that isn't necessarily a great thing. Yeah, because procrastination will set in. Sometimes there's kind of lethargy with uh, clients who have sat on an idea for so long that eventually they just get they've seen it so many times they just become a little bit a little bit bored of it. Yeah. Um, it's another case that also can like, happen. If you're under pressure and you're trying to hit the deadline, you put 100% of your effort into one idea, and that idea then could work better because it's a more a genuine idea. It's not like just okay, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that. It's more like let's. This is our idea. Let's go for it. Yeah, know? yeah. I think that's right. I think there's um, there's a certain focus that you only really get from impending deadlines, which can actually help you 
really, really yeah. steam into something and, and come up with a great idea. To be honest, like when I was at Leith, like one of the things I liked the most, it was like when whatever, I don't know if you were there when they, they had like a big pitch for a bank institution and like half of the agency had to stay in for the weekend to work with, actually it was three quarter of the creative floor I had to stay in to come up with ideas for this pitch. Wow. And I remember like how dedicated everybody was. I remember like everybody was on the ball and was like, okay, like, we're gonna have to crush this brief. We're gonna make him amazing. Everybody come in. And it was like, there's such a, I like, you know, an atmosphere that you wouldn't see normally. I mean, like, mm. the creative, I would say the creative floor was, a, was always having a good time, working hard and everything. But like when the big pitch came in and everybody was like sort of focused to win the pitch, I remember the competitive aspect of the whole agency just come together and this beautiful poopery of people that would work like really, really <laughs> hard to try and win some extra money for the business or whatever. But like, I just I always found that very fascinating how, you know, sometimes people might ignore each other during the day because they're doing their, their daily grind and then all of a sudden big project, huge, huge pressure and everybody is like, okay, arming up. We're gonna <laughs> crack this bitch. I always like that. Tool, tooling up. Yes, so, right, guys, <laughs> to the races. <clears throat> so, like, once after after Leith, you you got this amazing job offer, right? Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was it was um, a Taban uh, design company that uh, they, they, over the years they've they've sort of changed their focus of exactly what they do, but they've always been a design agency. Um, they they used to be a big annual reports company. They've they, when, I, when I was taken on there, they had their sights set on doing far more branding projects, which worked uh, for a couple of years um, before I before I left. Uh, they've done packaging, you know. They've 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 always done really beautiful work, uh, and whether that's graphic design, i.e., things like really beautiful brochureware for companies or really interesting ideas, promotional ideas for organisations. They've yeah, they've kind of done it all over the years. Yeah. Weirdly, even a bit of advertising, but not particularly great advertising. <laughs> I think that you, you can't you can't fake that shit. You have to you have to really know what you're doing. Well, with advertising, you mean? Yeah, they did. Well, you can hire a couple of good creatives, I guess, and get away with it. Yeah, that's kind of what they did, but you, you still have to have really good account directors that know how TV advertising works. Oh right, yeah. And you need really good create like um you you need good uh, advertising planners too. To get stuff together. Yeah, you can't just hire two advertising creatives and hope that you end up with a, a miracle TV ad that just captures the hearts of the nation. It's not never going to happen. It's funny how, like, I don't think people don't work in advertising. I don't think they understand the amount of people that are behind a single idea. Yeah. And how much idea has been percolating around the the, <clears throat> the agency, and then it's the account people, and then it's the planner, and then it's, like it's the creatives, and then eventually it's another pair of creative. It's the creative yeah. director. It's like it's such a it's a lot going into. Even a simple idea, if you th- if you think about, it. I mean, like let alone the big campaigns. The big campaigns always require a lot of effort from everybody involved. But even the small ideas, sometimes, you know, I remember like being discussed by a lot of people before something gets sent to the client, and then take it from there. Really, so, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to. Why it's, that's why it's good to do like an internship in advertising if you if you if you think like you like it or you're interested in it it's always interesting to do it because you, you you really get to see how it works before you make your mind up you know and say I want to work in advertising yeah I know it's it's interesting actually isn't it because the if you if you put two creatives in a room on their own with a brief and no one to bounce the ideas off I don't think you get 
a creative result that's as powerful as if you have const if you're constantly interfacing with account directors, planners, yeah, just just chatting to people and getting thoughts and ideas. I agree with that so much. Um, just to get diff- people from different disciplines in the same room and just discussing about an idea. Yeah, it's quite good. I, like it really helps with the creative process. This um, mythical thing that is the creative process. So when you left the agency and you you became effectively the design director at Tayburn. Yes. Yeah, so I was design director uh, at Tayburn for maybe four years, I think. Four years. Four years. So like how was the the moving from being, you know, the designer together with Alan and then to become sort of like, not sort of like, the head of a department effectively? Uh, The the only difference really was that I had a team of people. How did you cope with that? Uh, I didn't at first. I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> well, that's I did, good. I did, I, um, well, I suppose you got to remember at Leith, a huge department, mostly men. Certainly when yeah. I left, there were no female creatives on that entire floor. No, we only... We, I we, remember we, Dominique was there, but then she had left. It was, it was, yeah. it was dreadful how... <laughs> how, yeah, there is, how biased the gender split was at the Leaf Agency at the time, yeah. which is which is which is um, corrected now. I'm just going to disclaim disclaimer there. Good, yeah. It is they, they've they've got a very I think quite a good mix. I think still more guys than girls, but a far cry from where they were in 2012 when I yeah. left, when was there wasn't a, a single there, yeah. wasn't a single woman on that entire floor, which was which was which wasn't a great thing. It was it was it was interesting as much as it was like a boys changing room a lot of the time, like the. the the conversations we would have. It was a man it was, cave. Yeah. It was a man cave, exactly. Um, yeah. And and so I was going into an into a role where I kind of I had to adjust my social disposition. <laughs> kind of jokes that that were bread and butter at yeah. the Leaf Agency because it was just just blokes multiplied by more blokes. And I can't possibly wrap that up as as a good thing. It's it's and really not. We, we did we did love them all. Let's say that they all yeah. like funny people, but like yeah, <laughs> the, the, the man cave humor was a thing, and like Matt's humor was just like crashing it. Like <laughs> like I loved it, but like there was always a little joke in the morning that it was always like, oh man, you didn't say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that but, wouldn't go down so well get, at Tayburn, right? So you didn't go down well at Tayburn. I was asked. Uh, by someone on my team to not use a particular word. It wasn't sexist. It wasn't racist. It wasn't anything. It was just. It was. I just referenced a particularly nasty part of humanity a bit too often. Oh uh, no! And 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 almost yeah yeah. And and, and uh, one of the people on my team is right. If you don't use that word quite as often, because it's really not funny. Oh no! You must have felt so bad. <laughs> and I did. It, it was just a bit of a a bit of a shake. Uh, a bit of a slap round the f- not a slap round the face. It was kind of like a bit of a shake, shake, shake on the shoulders kind of thing. Like, right, stop, stop. So you got to grow up. You can't use that word anymore. Yeah, it was, I suppose it, it, it just <laughs> made me realise that I had normal human beings around me for the first time in a long time. <laughs> normal human beings that had that reacted correctly to certain topics and uh, subject matter, which it's fucked up in a way. That's exactly what you want, right? You want that kind of reaction from people. Uh, yeah. So that that was so that was a challenge. Although again, that was a very personal challenge, because people just didn't really like my 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 uh, appalling, gr- uh, grotesque sense of humour. Um, it's not appalling. It's funny. It's funny grotesque, to funny, funny to a lot. Of, yeah, grotesque. Um, so that was a challenge. It was a challenge. I think just managing a team because it was a it was a sort of an odd dynamic 
of people on the team, there was a couple of guys who were incredibly quiet and self-conscious about what so, so every time I reviewed the creative work of a couple of people on my team, they they didn't they didn't enjoy the creative review process. Oh, poor thing. Which is which is you know one of them in particular was a was an excellent designer, uh, but he just kind of turned into a clam and closed shut when I was going through his work and sort oh, of help, helping him think about how how to sort of in, improve some of the ideas that he had or whatever. So so that, that, that was that was a bit of a challenge. And well, that's you interesting because that's a human challenge rather than yeah, a, than, so, a, than a professional challenge. Absolutely, because I think that's the thing, so, certainly coming from somewhere like Leith where everyone is incredibly outgoing um, and open and no one, everyone's open to positive criticism. Right. I think somewhere like Leith where the creative department, everyone's very good creative. You tend not to get a job at the Leith agency unless you're very good at what you do. Yeah. But you also have to be a good, a good, nice human being and be open to to criticism. Cri- yeah. cri- critical feedback. Yeah. I mean, feedback is, is is a key element in the creative industry anyway. So if you're too defensive about what you do, yeah, you're always going to struggle. Yeah. The thing is, like being defensive always, it's always connected to how you feel. Like sometimes you know you're off balance. You're not. You're not at your best. So you you tend to be a little bit more defensive about feedback. Yeah. Well, like if you're well balanced and you're doing well, it's fine. So like I think there is also like a, on a human level, <clears throat> there is to be some empathy in terms of feedback and how you give it to certain people at some points. Yeah, and I can't I, I can't review <laughs> I can't review myself on that. People might say, yeah, he was just a bastard. <laughs> Yeah, I hated him. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't stand him having. Like, I couldn't stand that guy pouring through my work, criticizing it, and just not, not, not being very nice. Um, but uh, I think at the same time, like my my background was quite different to everyone else's. Everyone else said like there was there were a couple of girls who were very very talented graphic designers. You know, they would design beautiful layouts for books and brochures, and and that was their thing. Um, and then sometimes, like for instance, these guys would get put onto uh, a branding project, so I would have to try and help them understand exactly what the objectives were how to how to how to think through a branding project and it's a very different discipline to a lot of things so um that i think was actually probably one of my biggest challenges that was that no one on the team really had uh, a deep and broad understanding of of how branding projects are run and the kind of ideas that you have to come up with that are flexible enough to 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 fulfil an entire branding system for, a, for an organisation. So, um, and by that I just mean using a combination of, uh, of, of ideas for logos, ideas for language, ideas yeah. for visual systems, ideas for uh, adaptive illustrative styles that can flex across campaigns and below the line things like brochures and materials okay. like that. Um, <clears throat> so, so there was a lot of, I had to, had to try and kind of bring people up to speed a little bit, which I found incredibly difficult because I don't think I'm a natural born teacher. All right. Uh, some people find it incredibly easy to teach other human beings. I find it very hard. I, That's interesting. I, I think I just take a lot of my own knowledge for granted and I assume that other people know what I know. So that, 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 was, a, that was a big challenge. So did you... Uh, in the four years that you were at Tabern, when you, when you once you left, did you feel like you learned a lot in that respect, or yeah, you feel like you improved? Yeah, but I think it's not like I wasn't learning directly from someone else. I think I was learning how to do it by myself, which is great for for, for most people. I think that that kind of environment where you're just kind of left to you've got to do a good job of something, and you're not going to get taught how to do it, so you have to figure it out for yourself. That that kind of 
Well, you were also top of the line, I guess. That's, that's kind of your responsibility at the time, right? Yeah, the structure was, there was a creative director who was a really good guy I got on really well with, um, but he wasn't a hands-on designer by any means. Not like when I was working with Alan at Leaf, he was a hands-on designer. Mm-hmm. He would create, uh, he, he would have his own projects that he would run and he would do, be doing the majority of the design for them. Uh, Malcolm, who I worked with at Tabern, he was a hands-off designer, so he would be purely about the creative management of the team and uh, as, as much a manager of the company as anything. So okay. not a traditional creative director, I don't think, in that sense. Yeah, okay, I, I see what you mean. So I guess we're now back to the present where you left Tabern about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I, I left Tabern because I wanted to... I think there, there, were, there weren't that many branding projects coming through Tabern at the time. There was a lot of digital work, which is great, um, but not something that I've ever really specialised in. And I do find that with digital work, digital projects, if once you become great at digital, that just ends up being your thing. You just you specialise in that. You become either a, a front end developer or a, a UX designer or a, or a or a digital designer, whatever that actually means. You know that's quite well, important. And yeah, the sort of the, the, the branding projects were becoming few and far between. Uh, I think in the last year that I was there, I think only maybe one proper big branding project came in. So I decided now's probably a good time to to leave to well to start my own thing. And so, like, how was then moving from you know working for a big company? That's what you've done your whole life. Then I know you had a little stint into being a freelancer while you were setting up the company, and then now you have your own company. So how was that? path if you want uh i was i was quite pragmatic i was a bo- boringly practical about it i i set the company up while i was still working at tayburn and i took some time off to do one of our first big projects uh and i i was doing mostly evening work and um and chris and i when we talked about it we we both wanted to just have some money in the bank that was ours that we had earned from our own company before we left our I mean, he was freelancing anyway, so before he gave up freelancing and before I gave up my full-time job. So that eventually happened, it was like two years ago, maybe. So 2015, what year was it, 2018? 2018, 2016. 2016, yeah, so that was when I left. And that's when, yeah, I handed my notes in and said, right, I'm going to freelance now. So I can be a full-time freelancer and I can phase that out while I phase the new business work in, mm-hmm. like one big magical career cross-fading device. <laughs> uh, and, they, and it kind of worked. I'd say it kind of worked. At, at the moment, we still haven't managed to shake, completely shake off our freelancing. We seem to be tied into these enormous projects with other agencies in Scotland who are still using us for these gargantuan ongoing projects, which we are still phasing out. Well, that's two years. that's two years of... When you say freelance, you mean like those projects like use you on a personal basis, not as a company. Yeah. Okay. Even though we bill through the company now, it's yeah. that, I mean that's just a, a practicality. So in terms of practicalities, then do you guys the, the whatever you're making through the, fr- the freelance work with the company does go inside the company in terms of money? Yeah. Okay. So everything, so everything still we do, operated as a company in that respect. Yeah, we still yeah. So everything we do is we, we do it for the company. But it's if you're freelancing when you're in your own company, you're not building your own company. You're just helping another organization, another creative yeah. organization. <laughs> you're you're uh, building out somebody build, building someone else's yeah. company up. Yeah. So so we we keep we are keen to stop that quite soon. But <laughs> it's just we're still at that point where we don't have 
enough brand projects to keep us 100% financed ourselves. It's We're probably like 70, 30, 70, 70 in favor of our own projects, yeah. our own clients, and then 30% freelancing. But that's so it's, pretty good in two years now. I think so. I mean, some, yeah. I mean, I know people that have worked at companies that um, that have, have set their or set their companies up and they've just always done a bit of freelance, a bit of their own projects, and then eventually they go and do something else completely random anyway, like set up a design school in uh, Nairobi, or you know, yeah, no. you know, just like change direction completely. Cool. But um, but yeah, that's 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 uh, I suppose that's that, that's not the most interesting way of of describing it all, but that's that's kind of where we're at. But but that's that, the practical way of describing, it, I guess. That's the way it works. Yeah, and I guess that's the that's where we're at. In Scotland at the moment, you know, because we, we 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 said we only really want to do what we do well, and that's branding projects. So that's helping organisations establish focus, huh? who they are, focus on who they are, what they, how they communicate to people, how that looks, how that sounds, and how that looks as a set of behaviours. And and Scotland's not a huge country. Uh, it's you know the financial climate in Scotland is still much the same as the rest of the UK. You know, it's it's still on the kind of recovery thing. So so. There aren't billions of companies out there throwing money at big branding projects. Okay, yeah. And and we we just happen to pick up some really interesting ones. Um but we that that I think that that's that's the cost of being a specialist, is that it might just take a bit longer for us to keep to, to actually get ourselves to the point where we are hundred percent self sufficient of our own projects and we're hiring new folk. That makes perfect sense, but also like in two years you guys are doing really well you know you got enough projects to work on and the, the business is doing well which is great you know, I don't know how many how many business can say that after two years do you know what I mean like yeah maybe it's already like it's already um, a good goal I think it, it about it's about to see how you can grow the business I guess yeah I suppose we we do yeah we're, we're doing things quite safely we're not risk you know Takers. we're kind of yeah. <laughs> we're not, yeah we're not sort of uh, taking out enormous bank loans and hiring sort of teams of people just to <laughs> It makes sense. Take on, yeah. It worked so far. It worked so far. Yeah. Like again, the freelance jobs. Um, I guess, like until they're useful for you guys, why yeah. not? You know. And the one, the one thing I would say is that I've worked at companies um, who who have ended up in a in an optically amazing place because they've taken on work that isn't necessarily what they want to do. The grind, yeah. Um, yeah, Chris and I have said from the start that we we never want to become a big agency because once you get over a certain size I would probably say 20 people um, you as a business owner are responsible for 20 people's or say 19 people's 20 including yourself uh, mortgages yeah right so so that means that you are in debt to those people because they are coming to work every day you have to pay these guys and if you if you reach that point where you are you've got more than say 20 odd people working for you it becomes critical that you just bring in any work that you possibly can to make sure that these people's salaries are being paid. Right. So it makes sense. Yeah. So I, I feel like in that I've I've been in a lot of creative agencies. I say a lot. I've been in like sort of five or six big creative agencies in my time, and the big ones do a lot of shit work which they don't tell anyone about. Yeah, so that seems to be the rule. The stuff, the, yeah. the, the stuff they do, you, you don't just seem to see it. You only see the, yeah. the tip of the iceberg. Because to have fifty people working for you, you have to take on a lot of work that isn't necessarily much fun, isn't necessarily what you want to do. 
but ah, it's yeah. it's just it, it will pay the bills. I do respect this company is a lot because it's a big it's, it's a big responsibility you have. You're taking over your shoulder. Totally. I mean, like your shoulders and like like yeah. hiring 50, 60, 70 people. It's it's a lot, and like as you're saying, and also like. It is a thing in advertising. The agencies swell whenever they need it, and then they kind of like get smaller as soon as like yeah. body dries up a little bit. And I, I, I mean, I, I understand from a business perspective why that happens, but also like it's soul crushing because yeah. there's a lot of people doing the rounds that you know you work in an agency for a while. Agency. <laughs> I don't want to say they fire you because usually it's not like they want to fire you. It's just that. We don't have enough projects this year. Sorry, yeah. guys. And so. no one likes seeing people being made redundant, and it's and it leaves a, a bit of a funny taste in people's mouths, especially when your friends are being yeah, especially you're staying there shipped the, out of a uh, yeah. But it's company. It, uh, oh, my brain's actually fucking. I think that's it, man. We need to call that day. <laughs> I could, uh, we 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 reached our our top here. Um, right. So okay. It's five o'clock. It's gone five. It is. Um, all right, we can, yeah, that, that last bit, Ron, my brain's starting to fart. Yeah, we're going to be just trim that, <laughs> we're trim that thing now. Well, Matt, um, there's a million more things I want to ask you, but I think we need to wrap it up. That was a story and a half. I mean, that was a great story to start the, the podcast. Oh, so, it can only get better, as D-Ream would say. Yes. I mean, we, we really... Um, yeah, we had a couple of climaxes in there, you know. Like I, I climaxed. Say, you climaxed. You always climax. But like, I think it was like a two act structure there, not even a three act structure. We didn't get to the three acts. I don't think you need three acts in any good play. I think two acts is enough. Yeah, we did have a bit of a hero journey going on. So there you go. You know, yeah, we have seen you going through <laughs> some some shit. <clears throat> Although I wanted I wanted some more pain. Um, it, it felt like a very easy journey there, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, what if there was any other sort of horrific thing? Oh, I'll tell you what, something that did happen, and, this, oh, thing, and this, this comes back, this is quite nice, this is a nice way of wrapping up the podcast. That's it, that's it, like a horror story, I was about to ask you about it, mm. if you had a horror um, story, so. I sort of loathed to share this, I'll try and edit it as I go. Um, <laughs> I was, it was in my first job, right, so you saw my first job in London uh, at the motorsport branding company And this place. was 1998? Uh, 2002, I think. 2002, it was, yeah. okay. So I, um, I, even back then, like, I had a healthy disregard for sort of social norms uh, in as much as I like I would I would say horrific things to people just to get a rise out of them uh, yeah. and make jokes of, of appalling um, topics that yeah. most people would would sort of get quite upset at the dark humor we're talking about we're talking dark humor yeah and that's just something that I've always kind of I suppose I've always found amusing facetiously funny uh, and uh, I I was emailing a friend uh, one afternoon and wrote something in an email to oh, oh. to him that was very bleak oh dear, oh, dear. I- incredibly bleak I won't say it because it's I, I wouldn't want to sort of raise questions about the sort of person that I was slash am um, and and his reply was even more absurd and and dark in, in what it was that we were we were sort of kicking a, a, what we thought was a very funny idea probably for a, a TV program or something it was yeah um, and he was working for a place called uh, <laughs> Norfolk Labels and they were the people that used to print Coleman's mustard labels on the jars um, amongst other things uh, and his boss called him into the boardroom and said uh We've caught an email going out of the company from your email address to uh, Matthew Robinson at such and such a company in London. 
um, and then read out this email to him. And my friend, Dan, uh, he said that he'd literally, he was struggling to keep a straight face when this guy was reading out this. Because when it's done in a disciplinary circumstance, when someone reads out the content of what you think is hilarious and albeit very dark and sinister uh, <laughs> conversational email, it, it becomes quite funny just by, by default. When someone's taking it too seriously, it becomes very funny for you to listen to that being replayed to you. Um, ten minutes later, his boss sent the email chain to my boss to say, just so as you know, you've got someone in your company. And I think he used... Uh, I think he used the terms sexual violence, pornographic and... And racist, I think he said. I'm not sure where racist came from. What did you write in the? I, I, I couldn't tell you, and I probably wouldn't even if I could oh, remember no. it. But he, he, th- those are three big ones. These are three things you don't want to be known as as a racist and a sexually violent human being. <laughs> Definitely um, not. But he, but that was that was his accusation uh, based on the content of either what my friend had sent to me or what I'd sent to him in a in, in what we thought was a very sort of like comical context. Um, and I was pulled into a boardroom by my boss and I had the emails read out to me and I didn't find it that funny because I was suddenly scared that I was going to lose my first ever job because I was just being me yeah well yeah you, were you like sitting in that in that in the boardroom thinking maybe I am a dick I was, I was thinking, I was thinking first of all how how's this even how's this even happened <laughs> well, how's this happen? how's this even happened this is just a, a yeah, I mean, I can't rem- I, I, to this day, I can't remember exactly what it was that was in this email. It definitely wasn't sexually violent. It definitely wasn't racist. But it was something that was probably poking fun at those topics in a facetious way, I'd imagine. So uh, so I thought that was the end of the matter. They said, we're going to have to give you official warning for this because it's not cool. Um, they, didn't find, they, they didn't find it funny. Again, I was... I, I tried to explain to them... I tried, I tried to explain what... Uh, what facetious humour was about why <laughs> oh why some God. people find it funny to poke fun at very very alarming uh, imagine, topics. Imagine that they having to explain your sense say, of humour. Yeah, trying to explain the sense of humour. So anyway, so I thought that was the end of the matter. I but. assumed that that was that, and left the room. And uh, but lo and behold, the following morning, the entire company was was uh, called to congregate in one end of the studio. So there was the scraping of chairs across the wooden studio floor as everyone sat down wondering what on earth has happened. And the managing director read out my email word for word without naming any names. He, he said, I'm not going to name any names, but he read the email out. The entire company turned around and looked at me because <laughs> they knew that that was the kind of thing that I would find hilarious. And then looked back, and but it was just, there were grey faces everywhere and, and the managing director... <laughs> very curtly warned everyone that if anything like this ever happened again we'd have our email privileges taken away from us it was like <laughs> email yeah it was like boot camp in the army where everyone gets punished for one person's fault and uh, and it was at that point that i decided i'd probably move to another move another, to another, move yeah. to another agency i thought this is, <laughs> this is it. i thought i thought there was <laughs> there's blame on both sides here there's there's me assuming that i can have my private conversations kept private uh, on email, uh, when I know that I've got quite a peculiar sense of humour that, that think, not everyone finds funny. Did you start using encrypted emails after then, or uh, I think I got myself a Gmail account after that. Oh yeah, so yeah. Google knows are all okay, perfect. Yeah, I can only um, imagine your Google searches. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, 
but the, the thought on the other side, I thought, what, what, what a strange way of handling that situation. Very odd. Like very, very odd way like, of handling that by like, my managing director. Who, I think if you guys are a bunch of toddlers. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It was. It, it was. A, they, there was a sense of that. I mean, those guys did run the company as if we were all incapable of independent thought, and and our actions weren't really necessarily our own. In fairness, you did send that email, though. Yeah, so I mean, blame on both sides. <laughs> this was like maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe you were a bunch of toddlers. You were twenty, though. Maybe I was like, immature. That's for sure. But uh, but that was that was an interesting. Well, that was a great way anecdote. to finish. Right. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for uh, gifting me your time. Thank you for having me. It's been an interesting. It's one of those sort of therapeutic things where I find myself feeling alleviated of all sorts of stresses and anxieties just That's by good. just by talking about it. That's fantastic. I mean, like we're definitely gonna do this again because now that we have the intro, next time we can get straight to the meat. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'll tell you some more Wait, horrible you, things that I've yeah. done. You can bring. You can come. You can bring a routine next time, right? Yeah, some dark humor routine. I would, I would, uh, I would soundtrack nice, as well. Yeah, I bring a laughter track. <laughs> the younger, <laughs> like a soundboard. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for listening. I um, have a good rest of the day. Bye. Ciao.